Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we explore the intersection of work and well-being. I'm your host, Coach Marty, and each episode, I interview mental health experts, coaches, and industry insiders to bring you practical insights and tips that will help you build a meaningful, rewarding, and sustainable career. So join me as we explore the path to career satisfaction one conversation at a time. In today's episode, we sit down with Nicole Legg, a PhD candidate in clinical psychology who spends her time conducting psychological research, providing therapy and assessments to her clients, and delivering talks on mental health and well-being. Nicole is also the co-founder of Well Intel Talks, a wellness education speaker platform, and aims to promote wellness intelligence in the community. In this episode, we talk about how to navigate workplace conflicts in healthy and effective ways, what you can do to build self-trust in yourself and your abilities, and how dialectic behavioral therapy, DBT, and the Dear Man framework can lead to better communication outcomes at work. If you like the Career Therapy Podcast, please leave us a review on Spotify and iTunes, share this episode with a friend, or leave us a comment on YouTube so we can help more people navigate their way to a better career. That's all for the intro. Now let's dive into this week's conversation with Nicole Legg. All right, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. Very excited to chat with you about effective communication, conflict, and interpersonal effectiveness in the workplace. As we kick things off, I'd love to just have you share a little bit about your background and the type of work you do. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So um, I I have a couple different roles right now. I do a couple different things. So first and foremost, I recently co-founded and am the CEO of Well Intel Talks. We are a platform of qualified speakers that provide wellness education talks in the community. So that takes up a lot of my time, but I'm also completing my PhD in clinical psychology at the University of Victoria. So what that means is I also spend quite a bit of time doing research. And specifically right now, my work is looking at the mental health impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on Canadians. And I also research when and why young adults engage in risky behaviors. So two kind of different streams of research. And then the final thing that I do is that I'm also a therapist. So I work at a couple different practices doing DBT, CBT, and um, assessments as well. So yeah, every day definitely looks a little bit different. It's awesome. And I do, I can't wait to dig into some of, you know, the different types of work you do and the different populations you work with and see how that all ties together. Cause I do think we're, we're in a, in a weird place in the corporate world right now where, you know, there's a lot of debates around hybrid and in-person work. There's a lot of layoffs happening. There's just, if you, if you look at the media and the headlines, it's a little scary for folks. And a lot of people that I'm working with are just kind of are we in a recession? Are we not? We, you know, it's kind of hard. To, mm-hmm. It's hard for people to know what's happening. And I think when there's a lot of uncertainty, that also leads to a lot of difficulty with conversations, with conflict, with communication. And, uh, you know, even just using the example of the com- corporate layoffs that are happening via, you know, email or, uh, you know, people are finding things out via uh, a leak to the newspapers before it even gets to the the employees of the business. And so there's so many different things that we can dig into here today. But the first thing I want to dig into is just the really broadest question around communication, which is why do you feel communicating our needs 
to another person or in the work environment is so difficult. What what is it about communicating needs that really gets people caught up in their own in their own head or or unable to get that across? Yeah, such a great question. And the reality is there's a a lot of answers to this question. So I'm going to focus on the top three that I see in my work. So I focus a lot of my clinical work on interpersonal effectiveness and trying to build these communication skills. One of the first things that I see that happens is that oftentimes we go into situations or conversations and we're actually not clear and we're not sure about what we want out of that conversation. So I'll often be working with clients and say, you know, so you went into this, what did you actually want out of it? What did you want to have happen? What did you want to have changed after this conversation? And they'll say, yeah, I'm not actually really sure. I just wanted to kind of express how I felt, or um, I just wanted to see how things went, or I wanted to see their reaction. And that really gets in the way of effective communication, because when we're not clear about what our priority is in that conversation, we get derailed really easily. So our boss could bring up something about our performance, where the project is at, where our progress is at, and all of a sudden, our priority of asking for a raise has been totally thrown off course. And so that's just not an effective communication situation because we haven't actually achieved our goal. So that's part one. We need to be very clear and very sure about what we want so that we can stay on track. The second thing that often happens is that I hear people say, how do I even approach this? How do I have this conversation? How do I even begin to try to broach this subject? And so the second thing that really gets in the way of effective communication is that a lot of people feel like they don't have a framework to begin, right? Where do we, how do I bring this up? How do I assert what I want? How do I not come across, across as rude? So we definitely need some sort of framework and skeleton for people to use to fill in the pieces for them to be able to effective, effectively communicate and ask for what they want. And then the third and final thing, and this is so common, I think we can all relate to this one, is that a lot of us have difficulties being direct and being assertive. I think oftentimes we, we worry that we're going to come across again as rude or demanding or, um, you know, just too direct. But when we beat around the bush or we're too fluffy, again, it gets in the way of getting what we want and it's not very effective. So people pleasing comes up here, right? Um, not, not feeling comfortable or not being sure about how to say things in a direct way that's going to be received well. So those are the three big pillars that I see that get in the way of, of effective communication and they take time to resolve and to build up these skills. So let's go into each of those specifically because I do think that there's a lot to to dig into with each of those things. So when it comes to um, figuring out what we want out of a conversation, a difficult conversation, I, I see that going a lot of different ways. Either one, people want some unrealistic outcome from this conversation. So they they maybe do know what they want, but what they want is unrealistic. And so then they don't want to say it because it's asking too much or, or something like that. Um, you could just imagine a, a conflict with a family member or something. And you're like, what I really want is for them to change as a human being and stop being this way. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah. that's probably not going to happen, right? And yeah. so um, what when we start to ask ourselves, okay, I want to have this conversation with someone. I want to be clear. I want to know what I want to get out of it um, so that we don't get derailed. What are maybe some realistic 
expectations people can have going into a difficult conversation of how much can you actually get done or get out of a single conversation with another person? Because I also see that a lot where it's like, I want this to be the only time this is ever talked about. And then this conflict never comes up again. Um, and there's, it's maybe just a binary thinking thing. I'm, I'm curious, what, what do you sort of see as the reason that people really struggle to get clear about what they want and then do that in an effective way? Yeah, there's, you know, there's a couple different pieces that have to come before going into the conversation and trying to be direct about what you want. So the first one is that I always encourage clients to consult with trusted friends, family members, coworkers, to make sure that what they're asking for is realistic, right? Is this something that is achievable? Do other people give me the feedback that maybe this is too big of an ask or that this can't happen right away? So whenever we're thinking about what we want out of a conversation, we have to be in an emotionally regulated place so that we're making wise, careful decisions, that we're able to ask others for their input, and that we make sure that what we're asking for is reasonable. So that's part one. Let's certainly make sure that we're not going into conversations or thinking about what we want when we're really emotionally dysregulated, heightened, because then we tend to make more extreme judgments or asks or demands, what have you. The, the second thing that needs to happen when you go into these difficult conversations is that you absolutely need to be willing to negotiate. So as much as it is important to be clear about what you want, you also need to go into the conversation with the knowledge that you're going to have to be flexible. You might have to make some compromises. You might be, you might have to lower your expectations in the conversation if you're not getting what you want. And perhaps that could be a stepping stone or conversation number one in a series of conversations that will help you get what you want. So certainly making sure that things are reasonable and getting feedback about that. And then number two would be go into these conversations knowing that, sure, ask for what you want, but you're going to have to negotiate and most likely compromise if it is a pretty big ask. Yeah. And that compromise and expectation piece is huge. Cause I do think that a lot of times when I'm talking to people, they, they talk a lot about how things should be right. A company yes. should get back to me this way. A boss should treat me this way. Mm -hmm. Things should happen X, Y, Z and down the line. And that's encouraged in the sort of online space, LinkedIn, everything else where people are like, yes, you should be respected at work and you should be able to live your dream. And you should be like all of these shoulds. And we've talked about this a lot on the podcast uh, where people are shooting themselves. Right. And yeah. uh, we get into this place where you, you want to have these conversations and you want to have them effectively, but then you also have to realize that everyone is kind of messy. People are human and humans are imperfect. Uh, and I do think that there's a lot of narratives that are like how to make yourself perfect, how to make your partner perfect, how to make your work perfect. And it's never going to be perfect. And so when you think about managing expectations or even lowering expectations or having just more of a realistic outlook on things in order to manage your emotions, because I, I do think that that's maybe one of the tough parts about being able to manage your emotions is if your expectations are really high, um, then you're always let down. I was talking to someone about that recently where they're like, you know, this company, it just feels like a, 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 a prison to be in, in an office environment like this. And I want freedom. And it's like, okay, 
but then you have to take all the junk that comes with being free. You know, <laughs> it's like, which pain do you want for which security or which pleasure? And so as we think about this stuff and we try to be more realistic, what are maybe some examples of conversations you've had with people or situations you've seen with people where they have been able to adjust their expectations in a way that allowed them to better navigate things, but didn't make them feel like hopeless about their life in the world? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It's such a delicate balance. I'm so glad you brought that up, right? Because there's a lot of taboo around lowering your expectations. But at the same time, what's true is that the world isn't perfect. And there's going to be a lot of things that don't go according to our expectations. So what I often really work on with clients and with people is the balance between acceptance and what reality actually is, right? And also this balance between what do I need to accept that's actually happening, but then what can I still work on changing? So when we're saying things like, oh, it shouldn't be this way, or it should be that way, or this shouldn't have happened, what we're doing in that situation is we're not accepting reality as it is. We're thinking about the reality that we wish had happened. So when I hear that, I immediately am starting to think about, okay, so what we need to work on first here is accepting that this is the reality of the situation. Your boss or your company is not meeting your needs or did not live up to this expectation that you have. And they very likely might not be able to. And that's the reality of it. And then how you balance that and ensure that we don't start feeling hopeless then is figuring out, so what are still your priorities? What are still your values? And how can you continue to work towards those despite this being your reality, right? Despite things being difficult or not going according to plan. So let's accept that first. And then let's still go back to focusing on what can you change? What do you actually want here? What can we still get out of this situation and continue to move forward on? And it's always that dance of um, um, making sure that we don't feel hopeless, but then also making sure that we're sitting in reality and that we're being very honest about what somebody else's skill set is, right? So the biggest one that I hear too in my work is that somebody will say, it's a lot about validation. Like they should have acknowledged my feelings. They should have validated that. They shouldn't have dismissed me. And this is a great opportunity to work on this acceptance and change, right? Can we just accept and sit with the fact and tolerate that this person didn't and at the same time, what can we do to see if we can help draw that out of them or help build that skill or manipulate our environment to see if we can end up getting what we want or support that person to give us what we want? And it's not in a malicious way by any means. It's just, can we be tactful? Can we use the environment to our advantage and still do certain things or tweaks to help us still move forward towards what we want? It is so interesting, uh, these different words, because they do you know, every single one of these words that we're talking about triggers a different emotion in people, right? Um, when I, I posted something on, on YouTube recently, and it was about, I don't know, networking or something. And uh, one of the comments in the video was like, so you're telling me I have to stalk people and stalk companies? <laughs> and I was like, kind of, yeah. But in the business world, they call it networking. Like, I don't know. Right, <laughs> and, so, right. um, and so a lot of these things, it's like manipulation, um, like how do we manipulate our environment that can be interpreted in a very negative way, but it's yeah. what everyone is doing all the time, right? This Absolutely. is not, this is not some crazy thing. This is just, you wake up in the morning and you interact with people and interactions are inherently give and take and they change things, right? If I show up here and I'm all like, 
I don't know, uppity or something like it's going to change the way that we interact. Right. And like, yeah, these, yeah. these are things that, that I think people struggle with, especially if they're highly sensitive or if they're anxious or if they're depressed or struggling with validation. And I'm glad that you brought up that need for validation because it, it plays into a lot of what we're talking about here, which is, you know, when people are talking past each other, it's usually one person want, wanting validation for how they feel. And the other person saying, but this is the thing, like, uh, you know, yeah. you've got one person saying, here was the situation and you're not seeing the situation, you know, practically. And the other person saying, I don't care about the situation. I feel this way and I want to be validated in that feeling. And then yeah. they're never, you know, neither, never shall the two meet or something like that. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. as we do go into these situations, I think one of the hardest parts you can have all this rationale beforehand and you can have, you know, you can emotionally regulate prior to the meeting. But I think once you're in it for a lot of people, a lot of the rationale, the rational side goes out the window and the emotional side takes over. It's almost like a, yeah. this, it just kind of sneaks up behind you and just grabs you. Right. And it's just like, Holy cow, I can't even regulate any of this. Um, are there any tips for when you're in the moment and let's say you went in really calm and then you said, Hey, I'd like to have a conversation. And the person goes, Oh, I don't have time for this right now. Instantly you're triggered, right? <laughs> uh, what can people do in those moments to find some peace and be able to keep moving forward uh, in a positive way so that they don't react negatively to that. And then it becomes a spiral that, that goes downward. Yeah. Yeah. Such a great question because that is human nature, right? As soon as we aren't really getting what we want or we don't feel validated, the dysregulation goes up and all of a sudden we're in kind of like our emotion mind and things can definitely go sideways. So there's a couple things actually that we can do. And the first starts before we enter into the conversation. So what I always work with clients on is let's actually just talk through the worst case scenario. Let's plan for all the different ways that this might go wrong, not to sit here and ruminate on it, but to actually be effective and plan for how are you going to deal with that? What are you going to say and how are you going to cope? And because you've had the chance to think about what you would do and how you would react and how you want to move forward before you're feeling dysregulated, when or if that comes up, you're a lot more prepared and you know exactly what you're going to do in that moment. So even if you start feeling dysregulated, you already have a plan in place that you can follow. You're not trying to think on the spot of how am I going to handle this? How am I going to reply to this person? So I would say that's number one. Do a little bit of planning and have some forethought about what are you going to say? What are you going to do if somebody says no, if you start feeling invalidated, if they don't want to have this conversation, et cetera. Now, in the moment, certainly things still come up that we didn't plan for. So when um, it comes to going into these conversations and wanting to be clear about your priorities and wanting to be direct, of course, the most important thing is to be able to be flexible and negotiate and know that not everything is going to go according to plan and to have that in mind. So if things do start going sideways, you start feeling dysregulated, part of the negotiation is being able to say, it seems like this conversation isn't effective right now. Why don't we take a break and we'll come back to this? So 
if it feels like you're not going to be able to re-regulate, if it's not going anywhere, absolutely, you have the right to stop that conversation, um, no matter who it's with, right? You know, I'm, I, I feel like I can't communicate effectively with what I'm trying to say. Why don't we put a pin in this and we'll come back to this conversation? So you always have the opportunity to stop. I would say another thing that you can do in the moment certainly is to actually try to re-regulate. So the most effective thing that we can do for bringing down our emotions and calming down our nervous system is just breathing. And most of us do not breathe correctly throughout the day, right? We're taking shallow, short breaths into our chest. And what we really need to be doing is taking slow breaths all the way deep down into our belly, that yoga breathing. And we want to try to have a slower exhale than inhale. And just taking a few calming, slow breaths, which you can do very subtly if you're practiced at it, can really, really help you in the moment, recognize the emotion, help calm down your nervous system. Um, and then the, fir the, the final kind of tip that I would give is to just validate your emotions in the moment. So we know that being able to observe and label and validate our own emotions in the moment actually helps to de-escalate the emotion. So just the simple practice of noticing when you're becoming dysregulated, what does that feel like? What are the body sensations? How do you know that's happening? And then when it does happen, recognizing, okay, I feel really frustrated right now, or I feel really agitated right now. And that makes sense given this situation. And just taking a moment to pause, observe that, validate it actually does help to bring down the emotions. Pair that with a couple deep breaths, pair that with a plan that you already had in place for how you're going to handle the situation. You're probably going to end up having a really effective conversation. So I would, I would definitely recommend those strategies. They work quite well when all put together. I love that. And it really is one of those things where um, you've mentioned control, focus on what you can control a lot. And I think that that's where a lot of folks get tripped up in these processes. Uh, either they want to control more than they're actually able to, or they don't know how to control what they can, right? And when it comes to that validation piece, I, I think it's really interesting, this need for validation. A lot of times when people are uh, maybe negotiating for pay or a raise or something like that, um, there's there's multi-layers of what's happening, right? One thing is, because uh, I don't know, I, I find that a lot of people, they're being paid well, but they don't feel respected, and so the pay doesn't even matter, but then they want more pay because that in their mind translates to more like the company respects me, they're paying me or something like that. And I can definitely understand all that. Um, but there is this sort of um, need for external validation that comes up a lot in the job search, especially when people are feeling insecure and they start reaching out to have these conversations in order to get validation when a lot of times that's not going to be able to come from other people. It needs to come from within. And so as we think about what we can control and what we can't control and, you know, tolerating that this person didn't validate us, right? If we leave that conversation and it hasn't validated us, is there a way for us to validate ourselves? What are maybe some of the mindsets that people can take on or approaches that people can take to build that sort of self-validation 
so that they maybe don't need it so much from their job or their boss or their coworker or whomever it is that is frustrating them in the moment. Because there's always going to be someone at this job that's frustrating. Like that's just the nature of jobs. Um, and we do sort of have to build that internal locus of control in a way. Um, what do you sort of see as the most effective ways for people to get in touch with their own secure parts, let's say, because a lot of times the insecurities are so loud. How can we balance those internal systems? Yeah, such a great question because, you know, back to what we were talking about with reality acceptance, the reality is a lot of other people don't have the skills to validate us. So it might not be that they don't want to, it's that they might actually not know how. And so then what that shows us is that it makes sense when it's really hard for us to validate ourselves because a lot of us are not taught these skills. And that's so key of, okay, so if that's the case and the reality is a lot of people don't know how to validate others and themselves, how can we work on this? And so validation and being able to validate yourself, especially when you're feeling insecure, especially when you're looking for a job, when we put so much of our self-worth on jobs, earnings, et cetera, is a skill that needs to be built up. It is not something that uh, comes naturally to us that we don't have to learn. We absolutely have to learn how to self-validate and to be able to tolerate when others don't validate us. So one exercise that I do with clients is I ask them when they you know, have a, um, a judgmental thought against themselves, right? I turn it around on them and I say, okay, can you explain to me why it's understandable that you feel this way? And they pause and they, and, and it's a, a little bit hard sometimes, right? Thinking about, okay, if I had to explain to someone why this emotion or this emotional experience makes sense and why it's understandable, what are all the different pieces of evidence? And that's a really hard thing to do because oftentimes we don't think about why is this understandable? We think about why should this not be happening? And that's where our brain likes to go, right? That should oh, this shouldn't be happening. So that's the place to start is you can do this a couple different ways, right? Pretend you have to explain to someone else why this is understandable. Or the second way to do it is I will say, okay, if you had a friend that was going through the exact same thing and they were feeling the exact same way as you, and they came to you and said, you know, I'm so stupid or I'm useless, what would you say to them? How would you comfort them? And then that helps to draw out a little bit of the va validation. Usually people will say like, oh, this is really hard. Like, you're not stupid. I think this makes a lot of sense. And then I say, okay, now turn that on yourself. Why is it, why is it that you can do this for your friend, but you can't do it for yourself? And then we practice that. And the key, Martin, is practice, right? These are all skills that we have to build up and we have to start somewhere. So I would say that's that's a good tactic to use when you're trying to build up this skill in yourself is really getting at how can I explain that this is understandable? That understandable piece is massive because a lot of what I hear from people is how do I get rid of this, right? So they're upset at work, upset at um, the job search, upset at whatever it might be and things should be different and companies should be better and they're not responding to me quick enough and all these different things, right? Um, you know, you'll see someone send an email for a networking thing, they don't hear back within 24 hours and they think the people hate that the person that they emailed hates them. And they're like, oh my gosh, I screwed up. I did something wrong. And it's like, we're really jumping to these conclusions 
Um, and, and I think a lot of it is tied to these insecurities that have developed throughout life from different things. And your point about it being understandable is it's a big mental shift that I, I'm trying to figure out ways to help people with, uh, and even myself with, because all of the ways that we react to things are healthy in some way, shape or form. They were, they are our body's reactions or our brain's reactions or our behaviors. They at one point were helpful to get us through some sort of situation, right? So maybe you did have a really toxic boss in the first five years of your career. And so you spend the rest of your career trying to like, you know, micromanage every little thing in order to make sure that you don't get called out for something, right? It's a natural reaction to that original boss because they put that pressure on you and you had to respond in that micromanaging way in order to not get in trouble all the time. The problem is, is that you're in a new situation in a new company with a different boss and you're still acting out the response mechanisms for the previous boss in the new boss. And I see that with the job search all the time. Someone will be like, well, the last company said that I didn't have enough X. So for this interview, I'm going to do more of that. And then the new company's like, wow, you're doing that too much, you know, or it's like, I, I wasn't funny enough in that call. So I'm going to change and I'm going to try to be funnier in this one and more personable. And it's like, well, you know, every single company is different. It's like changing your personality for the next date because the last person didn't like you. And that whole concept just puts people through this constant loop where they never get in touch with who they actually are in, in the, in the core and, and figure out a, a safe place for themselves to just be in all these situations. Right. Because we're constantly trying to, um, control the environment. And, and I do think that when it comes to understanding yourself and understanding a lot of how you're feeling about these things and and where it's all rooted and, and then maybe even try to change it, but also just how to accept that you're not going to be perfect and you're never going to be someone who has every single thing fully locked down. And, and one of the ways that I talk about this with people is to like, get more comfortable with improvisation in life. Uh, you can't like, it's good for us to sit down and say, okay, you have a negotiation come up. If this, then that, if they do this, then you say that, or you have a promotion coming up. If you bring it up this way, then you'll respond that way. If they are accepting of your thoughts, then you keep going this path. If they're rejecting your thoughts, then you try to change tact in this way. But there is a point where that becomes it's impossible to to plan for every single scenario. And then we have to find some way to lean back into trust, into trusting ourselves. And so how have you seen people build a sense of trust within themselves and their ability to navigate these things in the future so that they can even sit down and do that pre-planning, right? Because I think a lot of times people are just so scared of what's going to happen. They just don't even plan anything in, in the first place. And that's why we get into the situation in the first place. What are your thoughts around building trust within yourself? And maybe we can pull in some dialectic behavioral therapy or, or any of the things that you do uh, in your, in your work in order to maybe give some strategies around that development of trust. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a, I would say that this is really at the core of a lot of the work that I do certainly in therapy. And I think a lot of therapy in general is getting to know yourself. Right. So I liked your point that 
oftentimes what we do is we do try to adapt to our environment. And if I wasn't funny in this conversation, I'll be more funny in, in that conversation, right? And to an extent, sure, you want to be able to be flexible and adaptable. But what ends up happening is when we're consistently changing who we are or consistently making compromises about what we want and who we are, it really starts to erode our sense of self and our sense of autonomy and our sense of self-respect. And that's when we can fall into a lot of people pleasing. And just as you said, when that starts to happen, we really lose sight of who we are and, and aren't able to trust ourselves anymore, right? Who am I actually? How would I actually respond in this situation? What do I actually want out of this situation as opposed to what is all of the past situations sort of molded me to want, right? And so when we're when we're starting to think about reconnecting with being able to trust ourselves, really formulate a solid sense of identity as opposed to an identity that's totally shifting in a chameleon, no matter what situation we're in, it really comes back down to values. And this is a really corporate part of DBT and what I do in my work is what do you actually care about, right? What are your values? What do you look up to? What guides your behavior? If we're not sure about what our values are, then we're not sure about what guides our behavior or how we would respond or behave in a situation. And then that leaves us very vulnerable to being, to being sort of at the, um, I don't want to say like the, at the mercy of the situation, but in some ways we are, right? If we're not clear about who we are and what we want and what we would do in that situation, no matter what comes up, we might be too agreeable or we might be people pleasing or we might compromise on what our values are and act out of line with our values because we just weren't clear about our values in the beginning. And so when I'm working with clients, what I really focus on is how do you want to handle this conversation so that when you come out of it, you, you feel good about yourself? Right. And then I get really specific about and how do you want to feel about yourself? Do you want to feel a sense of mastery? Do you want to feel prideful? Do you want to feel a sense of autonomy? Do you want to feel a sense of independence? How do you want to feel about yourself out of this after this situation, after this conversation? And then what do you need to do to make sure that happens? What values do you need to follow? What values need to guide your behavior to ensure that that happens? So when it comes to making sure that we're clear about who we are, how we would handle situations, being able to trust ourselves to Im improvise on the spot, it really comes down to knowing ourselves and our values because that's really the system that guides our behavior and helps us to feel like we are a genuine, authentic person because we are clear and know that we're acting in line with our values. Yeah. And it really, that I think it's so interesting how you put that because um, we might not get what we want out of the conversation, but we can still feel good about how we approached the conversation. And I think that that's such an important distinction because I think a lot of times, especially with career and job search, if you don't get the outcome you want, you think the whole thing was a failure. And I see that with people who are interviewing. It's like, well, I didn't get the job, so I must suck at interviewing. It's like, well, wait a second. You might have done a really good job, and then someone just knew the boss and the company or they went with an internal hire. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're a flawed human being because you couldn't convince a company of <laughs> with, with that has a million other priorities to give you more money or something like that, right? 
And I do think that that's a really great nuance of it's, it's letting go of that outcome a little bit in order to focus on the process. And I think that brings me to this other question of how do you practice this in small doses in order to get good over time so that what I think tends to happen is people don't practice this ever. And then they have one big salary negotiation that they have to have. And then they go back to never doing it for six years. And then they have another you know, job search that they have to do. Um, how can you practice this ability to negotiate, ability to handle conflict? Are, are, have you seen, do you have any examples of people that you've worked with where they've been able to like test this out in smaller, safer doses in order to build up to the thing that they need to do? Yeah. Yeah. And like all these things that we've been talking about, right. I keep going back to, this is a skill that needs to be practiced. And whenever we're practicing something for the first time, we need to practice it on something small, right. And we need to do it in a graded approach so that we're using it on more and more challenging situations before we get up to the big negotiation. So I always, always encourage and work with clients to start practicing using these interpersonal effectiveness skills to practice acting in line with your values, no matter what happens in the, in the conversation and to practice negotiating day to day. So their homework is, I want to see how many times you can do this this week on something small and then come back to me. We're going to talk about it. And then we're going to plan for what are some harder situations that you can apply these skills next week. So for example, um, you know, I, I will often encourage clients to start practicing this just with friends and family first, right? Maybe a partner, maybe a housemate of, if they're not doing something that you would like them to do, like take out the garbage or do the dishes, use these interpersonal effectiveness skills and see if you can go in and effectively negotiate, stick to your values, but then also handle yourself in a way that you feel really good about yourself after. And let's see how that goes. And then we can problem solve and we can practice. So for example, I was working with a client and you know, I'll change the details a little bit, but they um, had a partner that was not taking out the garbage and there was a lot of conflict in the relationship. And, um, this person, what they were really working on was being able to regulate their emotions and move through an entire conversation without kind of blowing up and having it turn into a conflict and being able to actually get what they want. And what we really worked on was how can you observe when you're becoming emotionally dysregulated? What can you do in the moment to re-regulate? How can you stay on track with what you want? You have to be very clear about what your goal is. Do you want the garbage taken out? And then how can you handle yourself in a way and deliver this message that's going to make you feel very autonomous and very prideful about yourself and how you handle the situation? And so let's start with something small, right? Someone that you trust, someone that you've had this conversation a million times or this disagreement a million times and then let's work our way up from there so that would be an example of how we can start off and then maybe we take it into the workplace maybe we use these skills on a coworker that is not meeting deadlines or that is not um you know performing on their part of a project and getting something done that is more difficult and then by the time we get up to the big ask of a promotion or a raise or a big negotiation, we have practiced this a million times so that the first time we use it isn't this huge, high stakes, stressful situation. We've built up and practiced that skill like riding a bike 
that now, yeah, we're on the bike on a freeway, but at least we've practiced on these really long winding roads for, you know, months before we got on the freeway. Right. On a bike on the freeway. I love that image. <laughs> um, and it does, I think that that's so important because a lot of things, you know, that you come across on LinkedIn or wherever, it's these quick fixes, right? It's, you know, here's exactly what to say to your boss to get what you want kind of a thing. And it's like, okay, yeah, if you're not practiced in this and you just go in and say that thing that someone posted, it might not go how you hope it goes, you know? <laughs> and, and I see that all the time um, where someone is, they realize that maybe they're a little bit of a, a pushover or they're not being assertive enough. And, you know, then they go, okay, I need to be more assertive, but they don't know how to be assertive, right? They haven't practiced it. They haven't done what you just said, where you're building these skills and, you know, learning how to bike on the weaving roads before you get on the freeway. And um, what ends up happening in those situations, I very often see, is they go from like zero to a hundred, right? Because you're not practiced at conflict, because you're not practiced at communication and emotional regulation, you respond incredibly negatively to small things. And uh, a good example of this, I was working with someone and they expected the job search to be more, let's say, efficient on the company side, mm -hmm. right? Uh, they expect a communication to be clear because they're putting in so much effort. They expect the company to put in so much effort. And that expectation leads to a situation where they go, um, well, I always attend every meeting that I'm scheduled, right? Like that's my values. That's my perspective and the company kept rescheduling on them and the third time the company rescheduled instead of being you know gracious and okay you know trying to work with the company they just wrote okay they just sent an email that said okay and i was like okay wait a second before you send emails like that please send that to me so i can rewrite something very nice <laughs> and then we'll send that off to the company because you know, it's that's a very passive aggressive thing to do when you're trying to get employed by this company, right? Or some people can go on the opposite side. I've had clients uh, who have been very upset and very angry. And, you know, they get an email from a company that's like, you know, sorry, we went with a different candidate. You know, we appreciate your time. We'll keep you in the system. And they say the general thing, you know, uh, and they and this person was like, I know that's bullshit. And so then they just start writing this 50 paragraph email about like keeping me in the system. What does that even mean? You're never going to hire me like all these different things. And I'm like, don't send that either. Please pull it back. Like the reason I I'm just like reiterating the reason we have to practice this in small situations over time and get better is because if you try to just go from zero to a hundred on assertiveness, you're going to do it wrong. And that's where I think people end up making their situations even worse because they're trying to be something that isn't natural to them, right? We all have our personalities and our traits and our, um, you know, different quirks. And we have to sort of work within those things, right? How can you be assertive in the way that assertiveness is, is natural for you? How can you be uh, confident in a way that confidence feels like it's coming from the right place for you versus this uh, fake it till you make it kind of stuff where people end up getting in, into trouble. I mean, there's some truth to fake it till you make it, but there's also a lot of danger in just pretending that you know how to do something that you've not practiced. Um, and so as we dig deeper into these things, I wanted to maybe go into some of the um, 
some of the approaches you take. So we talked about DBT, but everyone listening might not know what DBT is. Could you give a little bit of an explanation of, you know, what DBT is, dialectic behavioral therapy, how it's utilized and what, um, let's say someone is in therapy right now and they want to try it, or they're looking for a therapist and they, they want to try it. What are the ways that DBT is utilized to help people build these skills incrementally over time? Yeah. Yes. DBT is really not that widespread now. So I'm glad that you asked. So DBT was, uh, it's a newer therapy and it was created because Marsha Linehan, the creator of DBT noticed that in CBT and a lot of traditional therapy, what we work on is, can we change your thoughts, right? Can we change the way you think? Can we change the behaviors? And some people that really struggled with regulating their emotion was, was finding all oh, that feels actually a bit invalidating, right? Like I'm still having this thought or yeah, I can change my thoughts, but I don't feel different. So DBT, what it really focuses on is this a balance between acceptance and change. Can we mindfully observe and accept our reality, how we're feeling? what's going on, and at the same time, still use skills to try to change, be effective, get what we want, regulate our emotions, etc. So DBT, part of the skills that you learn, there's four big modules of skills that you learn. So mindfulness is number one, which is really at the core of DBT. We have to be aware and observe what's going on for us, what's going on in our environment to know how to act effectively. If we're on autopilot or we're not observing, it's very easy to make assumptions, to miss things, um, and, and to not even know really what's going on in ourselves and then react out of emotion or have our emotions control us. So that's the first thing is we need to build up mindful awareness of everything that's going on because without that, we really can't do much. We're going to feel very stuck or we're going to be making incorrect assumptions. The second thing that we really focus on is emotion regulation. So what are the things that you can do long-term in your life to help you regulate your emotions, to solve problems effectively without sending, you know, maybe passive aggressive emails or things that don't make us feel good about ourselves, right? That are really a compromise on our true values and we were just acting out of emotion instead. So we focus on how can we regulate the emotions Similar to that, we also focus on distress tolerance. So what are the things that you can do in the moment if you feel really, really dysregulated? If you're in a crisis, if you feel you found out you just got fired or you found out that you got a really negative performance review or you didn't get the job, how can you handle that in the, in the moment again so that you don't act on your emotions or have your emotions control you? So those are really those quick skills. And then the final set of skills that we really focus on and integrate into the therapy work is interpersonal effectiveness. And this is really a lot of what we've been talking about today is how can you effectively communicate for what you need, what you want without compromising on your values, doing it in a way where you feel good about yourself at the end of the conversation and the other person feels good about you at the end of the conversation. Um, how can you get clear about your values to make sure that you're not a shapeshifter and just kind of doing whatever the situation demands, but that you can act in a way that ensures that you feel very genuine and true to yourself, which builds up your self-trust and sense of self over time. So that's really DBT in a nutshell. And certainly there's a lot, there's a couple of different frameworks that we use in DBT to actually communicate um, effectively that, you know, we can go through or we don't need to go through, but they really talk about how can you describe situations, assert, et cetera, things like that. 
Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program, which was built to give you the personalized support you need to advance in your career without fear and turn work-related anxiety into professional accomplishments. When you enroll in the Unstuck Coaching Program's monthly membership, you get immediate access to all of the coaching resources you need to crush it in your job search. This includes two one-on-one calls with Coach Marty every month, weekly job search support group sessions with the Unstuck community, access to the Unstuck curriculum, which guides you through every aspect of your job search from strategy through negotiations, and an invite to the Career Therapy Slack channel where you can chat with Coach Marty whenever job search questions come up. Want to see if the Unstuck Coaching Program is right for you? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free consultation with me in order to find out. Yeah, by all means, like we can definitely dig into the frameworks here. Um, we do have some time because I do think this is all very important because that that balancing of opposites is, is difficult. Um, acceptance and change. I think when people are struggling in their career, struggling with a boss, struggling with a job search, whatever it might be, the emphasis is on change. And I think the emphasis is on change in a couple of different ways. One, they wish this process was different. They wish this company was different. They wish this person, this boss, this coworker was different, right? I want to change this. I wish it would change. And then the other side of it is I need to change myself. And that's the biggest thing. If I have to change myself, how come they don't have to change themselves? And there's like a defensiveness in there, right? How come I have to change myself to fit my boss? Why don't they change to fit their employees? Well, what, what are you going to do? Like at a certain point, like, you know, I, I, I can empathize. Like I, I had a client who was like, this whole job search, the way people hire, the way corporations work, this whole thing is completely messed up. And I had to be like, yeah, it was invented by people. We're messed up. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like humans are, humans are great, but humans suck, man. Like, like it's just kind of true. And we have to realize like we suck too. Like we're, we're a combination of good and bad. The company's a combination of good and bad. The job search is a combination. It's, it's, more efficient than, you know, anarchy, but it's still not great. Right. And so really having that acceptance piece, but I think people worry about the acceptance piece because they think if they accept it, they can't change it. And I'm glad this framework brings both of those things together. It's not just acceptance because that is one way of thinking. Maybe it's even like the stoicism way of thinking, right? It's like, just accept life. This is what it is. C'est la vie, but also we can change things. And so as you do dig into the frameworks here. Um, well, I guess let's just dig in. What are maybe one or two frameworks or examples of a, a framework that you've seen be really helpful for people to be able to find that balance between those two things? Because I do think that that's a scary thing to number one, accept ourselves and then mm-hmm. accept the external environment. And then number two, change ourselves and change the external environment to whatever degree we can. And I think there is maybe even a limit to how much what our expectation of change should be either in how long it takes or how far it can go. Yeah. Yeah. And I really want to focus on this excellent point that you brought up about that balance, right. Of acceptance and change because dialectical behavior therapy, the word dialectical means the synthesis of opposites. And that's really what we focus on in DBT. And that's another really big core principle is I think that with the word acceptance, people get really, really tripped up. They think that, 
acceptance means that I'm okay with it or that I'm just going to roll over and that's the status quo. And if I accept something, it just, it is the way it is. That's actually not what acceptance means. Acceptance means in the, in the realm of DBT anyway, is that you are just acknowledging and accepting reality as it is in that moment, while also acknowledging that things can still change, right? So especially with systemic problems, like in the workplace, we need to accept that because that is the reality of our situation. The job process sucks. The hiring process sucks. That is the reality. It's difficult. And at the same time, that doesn't mean that we're okay with it and that we're just going to roll over and say, well, I'll just never get a job because it's too hard or this process is never going to get better. There's nothing I can do to make it more enjoyable. That's where the change piece comes in, right? Let's stop shooting. Let's stop saying that this should be different. Let's just accept that it is really hard. And at the same time, focus on what are the skills that we can use or what are the things that we can do to still try to improve things, make it more tolerable, make it more enjoyable, make it more effective. So when it comes to the interpersonal communication and the, the frameworks that I'll, that I'll talk about, that's at the guiding principle of it all is we need to maintain that dialectical mindset throughout everything right? Can we accept and stop saying that things should be different because they're not, and that's the reality, and at the same time still use these skills to see if we can improve things even slightly, right? And if things aren't changing as fast as we would like, or they're not happening the way that we would like, that's when we go back to the acceptance. Let's accept that this is our reality as it is right now. So yeah, that's the guiding. Yeah. I'm sorry. Keep going. Keep going. Well, I was going to move into the the framework. So um, certainly if you have some more thoughts about this dialect, I think it's such a fascinating area. Well, I think the only thing I wanted to interject there was um, it, it just made me think of this idea of like, we really do need to stop wishing for this fantasy to exist and start working with reality. And so I think that brings us right into the framework. So let's, yeah, let's dig in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, reality is not always exactly what we want, right? So it's hard, but it's a skill. It's a skill like everything else that we've talked about. So the framework, the biggest framework that I find the most helpful for clients and that is the most relevant to the workplace specifically is this framework that we call Dear Man. So it's an acronym. It's D-E-A-R-M-A-N, Dear Man. And it's an acronym that provides you with a framework for how can you craft what you want to say and organize it in a way that is hopefully as effective as possible. Now, if other people have other frameworks, that's great. This is the DBT framework. So the D in Dear Man, the first place that you want to start is describe the situation. This isn't always necessary, but certainly if you're going into a difficult conversation with a coworker or a boss, or you have a complaint or an ask, you very, very clearly want to describe just the facts of the situation. This, I would say, is one of the hardest parts of using this framework because as you had mentioned before, Martin, we often make these assumptions or we use judgmental terms or labels to describe what's going on. This is a bad work environment. Well, the problem with that is that's actually not very factual. When you say that's a this is a bad work environment, this is a bad situation, what does that actually mean? What are the facts? What are the things that we could actually observe or the pieces of evidence that make this a bad work environment? So I always tell clients, you need to be able to take that statement to court and be able to defend it in a court of law, right? So it needs to be observable. It needs to be concrete. It needs to be factual evidence that everybody in the room could see. So instead of saying, oh, it's a bad work environment, you might want to be a lot more specific and say things like, um, 
you know, I like I'm consistently missed on emails and being invited to meetings, or I've worked here for three years and I have not received a raise or, um, whenever I try to, you know, I've tried to speak up in a meeting the past three weeks and all three times I was cut off or interjected by person X, Y, Z. So what you'll notice is I'm not using words like always, never, good, bad. I'm being very concrete and specific about this happened this day, this amount, this X number of times, and here's exactly what happened. So similar to how we talk in court, it needs to be very specific dates, times, numbers, no judgmental labels. So this is definitely where a lot of the work goes into because a lot of us are very used to using shorthand lingo and judgmental terms to try to get across what we're saying, right? Um, this is really unfair. What does that mean, right? What makes it unfair? Give me the actual facts of the situation. And why we do this is it because it reduces the opportunity for conflict. If you say to someone, you're a bad coworker, that opens up the opportunity for them to to start um, disagreeing and say, well, no, I'm actually a good coworker. When we get really factual and we get really specific of you missed this deadline that was due on July 17th, and then I had to work seven hours of overtime to make up for it. That's very hard for the person to disagree with. That's based in fact, if we went back through the work schedule, the workflow, the scheduling, we could probably actually like prove that in court of law, right? So that's why we do it. We want to just reduce the opportunity for conflict, for disagreement, make sure that everybody is on the exact same page. That's D. That's described. We're just getting started. I love it. Wait, really quick. So that also helps people get past the validation piece as well, right? Because if you're going into the fight, hoping to be the fight, I'm already calling it a fight, but if you're going into the conversation, hoping to be validated, I mean, I'm going to say, I'm just going to throw it out there. 99% of the time, you're not going to be validated. So like, you're probably going to be, especially if that's the way you're coming into it, um, it's probably not going to line up the way you want. And what this does, because if you go in and you say you're a bad coworker, the person's not going to validate that because they don't want to yeah. think of themselves that way. And so you do have to come in with that specific thing because otherwise it's like, you're a bad coworker. Okay, well, what do you want me to do about that? Oh, I haven't thought that far. I just wanted you to validate that you suck as a person. It's like, wait a second, people aren't going to do that. All right, let's get into E. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we have to stay specific, right? As soon as we start using these judgmental labels, it's going to go sideways. It opens up the room for conflict. We're not going to be validated in that. So E, the next thing that we want to do is we want to express our opinion or how it makes us feel. I always encourage people to really focus on the emotion words, but certainly you can state your opinion as well. So, you know, you missed this deadline that was due on July 17th. I had to work seven hours of overtime to make up for that. It made me feel really disappointed, undervalued, burnt out, whatever the emotion is. And I found it really difficult to manage. So this is such a key part because what we're bringing in here is a little bit of vulnerability. Again, this reduces the opportunity for disagreement and conflict. People cannot disagree with your feelings. Your feelings are your feelings. They're valid. Of course, we want to make sure that they fit the facts of the situation and that they're justified, but your feelings are your feelings. It doesn't put somebody more on the defense if you're bringing in that aspect of genuine vulnerability where you're saying, you know, I felt really burnt out by this situation. I felt really disappointed that this happened and I felt totally overworked. Um, 
So we want to express how we feel. Bringing in vulnerability is such a key part of leadership, of effective communication. It gets everybody understanding what is this other person's emotional experience? What is their context? Where are they coming from with this conversation? So we need to understand the emotions behind it. So that's the E. You have to build up the awareness and have the sense of what are your emotions. So that can take some work in itself. The next thing that we get into is the A, which is assert. And this is where, back to what we were talking about at the start of the podcast today, you have to be very clear about what your goal is in this conversation. So what do you actually want out of this conversation or what do you want to change after this conversation has happened? And this is where you ask for it. And you ask for it in very clear, direct terms, but you're not demanding. So the difference between an assert and a demand is that a demand is when we don't give the other person the option to say no. We just tell them what they need to do. You need to do this by tonight. That's a demand. Again, that can put the person on the defense. What if they don't want to do it? What if they can't do it? You haven't given them an option. You've just told them what you need and what you expect to have happen. Often doesn't go very well. When we assert, what we're doing is we're making it very clear and specific and we're being direct about what we want, but we're doing it in a way that gives the person the option to say no, because then we have to move into negotiation. When the other person feels like they have the option and autonomy, they're a lot more willing to work with you and find ways to help you get what you want. So instead of saying, you need to get this done tonight, say, to make up for it, I really like to have this done tonight. Can you do that for me? I'm not beating around the bush. I'm not saying, oh, I know you have a lot on your plate or you might be so busy. I totally understand if you can't. I'm just being direct, right? I'd really like this done tonight. Can, we, can you make this happen? Can you help me with this? And then the N that comes after that is negotiate. And this is where we do have to be careful about our expectations and know that we might not get what we want, right? All we can do is effectively and assert and assertively ask for what we want, but we need to be prepared that that might not happen and we might have to compromise a little bit. So that's where we start to negotiate, right? If they say no, then you have to start using your negotiation skills. Okay, so this is still what I want. We do need this done tonight or by X deadline. How can we make this work? What solutions do you have? Can you get it done by tomorrow morning instead of tonight? So piece about clarity is that you'll hear there, I'm still going after what I want. I'm still being assertive about what I want, but I'm shifting my expectations for when and how it might happen. And this is a really key part because this is where we often get derailed. The person might come back with um, attacks or threats or judgments of their own. And that's when you have to bring it back to the assert. Well, that's a separate conversation, but what I'm asking for here is that we need to get this project done tonight. So how are we going to make this happen? So a lot of negotiation. Um, and, and what I forgot in there with the, um, with the M and the A, so I kind of went through the DEA and then I went to the negotiate because that often comes up. But when we go back to the framework, there's an R, so D-E-A-R, reinforce. This is a really tough one, but it's when you make the assertion, can you find a way to make it attractive for the other person if they do that thing for you? So this is just behavioral principles of psychology. Can we reinforce this for the other person so that they're more likely to do what we want? So how can you make it attractive for them to get this project done tonight? If you do this for me, I would be so grateful. And I think that we'll both get a better performance review. 
hmm, that seems pretty attractive for that other person now. You want to make sure that you're not, how can I make this attractive for myself? It's how can I make it attractive for the other person? So we need to do some perspective taking. It's not about, oh, you know, I'll be so much less stressed if you get this done. It's, I think that you will be a lot less stressed if we get this done, you'll get a better performance review. And then we can focus on that other project that I know you're leading or that you're interested in. So we're trying to reinforce. And then as we're doing all of this, the, the M and the A is staying mindful and appearing confident. So staying mindful about what is your tone of voice? What is your body language? How are you carrying yourself? How are you coming across? How is the other person receiving this information? Are you getting cues that this is not a good time for the conversation, that you need to pause the conversation? And you definitely want to appear confident, right? So maintaining eye contact, looking up, shoulders back, not stuttering. And ideally, having this all planned of what you're going to say beforehand so that you're very clear about it. So that's the framework. We did the describe, express, assert, reinforce, stay mindful, appear confident. And then the last N is negotiate, which I find is just sprinkled all throughout. I love that. And as you're going through this, you know, it brings in so many of the things we talked about leading up to this point, right? Why do you need to practice and think through the if this, then that's beforehand? Well, it's so that you know all the different ways that it could go. It's in sales, it's um, objection handling, right? Um, if you, when it comes to the confidence, uh, emotionally regulating will help you be confident because I think a lot of times people think confidence is knowing everything or having every answer, which, you know, if you've ever watched an improv show, they don't know what's going to happen next, but they're pretty dang confident up there. I mean, if it's a good group. And then like, um, and I do feel like when when it comes to appearing confident, that's where people get a little bit you know messed up because then they think being assertive is being confident. And that's where they kind of overcorrect, right? When in reality, I think being confident is just being calm, like just not take like not letting this turn into a fight. Even if they get upset, just be like, okay, we'll come back to this another time. I'm gonna leave. <laughs> like that's a that's a hell of a, a confident uh, reaction to something, right? Uh, but again, this all takes work. And I think what you're saying here with all of these frameworks, with all these things, what they're trying to do is help give people who are struggling with stress, anxiety, or any sort of emotional reactivity to be able to start practicing these things in small, manageable ways so that you don't get into a situation where when you need it, you're not able to, right? And a big piece of what we're trying to talk about here. I think is just finding, finding a, it's really what we're hitting on it, finding that balance between accepting the reality that work is work. It's not going to be pop your head off the pillow, feeling like this is the greatest day on the planet earth with cartoon birds chirping out your window every morning. It's going to be work, but also you can make the best of it and you can change yourself to really, uh, you know, take on these challenges in a way that makes you feel good about the work. And I do think it's more about, you know, it's enjoying the process and all the cliches, but it's, it's just getting more skilled at all this stuff. And I, I appreciate that you, you're talking about it as a skill rather than as like an inherent thing that's wrong with you, which is how most people think about it. It's like, I'm just not a good negotiator. I mean, that might be true, but is it just because you've never tried or is it because you're like, is there something fundamentally flawed about you? Are you different? 
you know, bag of meat and bones than everyone else. Like what's, what's the difference here? It's, and I think a big piece of what we're talking about here for me is that all of these reactions that people are having, whether it's the overcorrection or getting upset or avoiding or fight, flight, or freeze, like these are all normal, healthy responses. They just might not be effective for what you're trying to accomplish. And so it's okay that these things are happening. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're helping, <laughs> but it's okay that they're happening. And we can improve our ability to adjust these reactions and these things as we go. And that, you know, that hope I think is helpful for folks. And it won't be overnight, but it's it's definitely directionally correct. So as people are thinking about these things and wanting to learn more about it, where can they find more about your work, the things that you're doing and follow along with your journey? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's such a beautiful takeaway from our whole conversation today, right? That balance of acceptance and change and how can we accept what's going on right now and just recognize that this is a skill and it takes time to build up and we can do some things to change. So thank you for that. Um, if people want to find me, they can find me on LinkedIn. So it's Nicole Legg, L-E-G-G, and we'll have that link um, in the show notes or something. And then um, if people want to check out more about our speakers, so one of our speakers, actually is an expert on emotional intelligence and emotion regulation. And she gives talks on, on exactly this to different workplaces. So if you want to learn more about our company, Well Intel Talks, we're just at wellinteltalks.com. So that's W-E-L-L-I-N-T-E-L talks.com. Um, and we have Instagram with a similar handle. So yeah, people want to learn more about that. And we often post blog posts and resources about emotion regulation and mental health. So you can also subscribe to our Well Intel newsletter because we love to break down this content in just short blog posts that people can read every other week um, and get some of these tidbits just day to day throughout their life. I love it. Everyone go check that out. It's in the show notes. Nicole, thank you for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I hope people take these things and, and apply them because there is no end to the conflict that will arise in our work. It's going to be a lifelong thing. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Thank you so much, Martin. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you found this conversation to be helpful, please like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We also appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us spread the word and get these ideas out to more job seekers looking to build their careers and improve their lives just like you. If you'd like to learn more about career therapy and see our different coaching options, you can head over to careertherapy.com to learn more. Thank you again for stopping by. We wish you all the best in the future of your career. Have a good one.